Praise the Lord. I think you ought to play it, play it more often, don't you? Amen. If I could play one of them things, I'd be playing it all the time, right? And uh, we thank the Lord for that. Well, it's good to be here tonight, amen? I can't imagine Pete and Julia being grandpa and grandma. I don't know how that works. I mean, neither one of you look old enough to be a grandpa and grandma, right? Now, Lois and I look like we're old enough. What's the response on that? <laughs> uh, you know, you, you'd be surprised how, as you get older, you, you started getting a little bit older, you, you think of yourself actually younger than what you really are. I think of myself like 50 or 60 years old. Here I'm, a few days will be 79. And uh, I, I think of that until I look into a mirror. And then all of a sudden I'll say, who is that old man in this house? And that's me. It kind of reminds me of a woman in the, an art museum over in France. And she was looking at all this artwork. And uh, she saw some artwork that she thought was very ugly. And so she said to the guy that was guiding her, oh, she said, look at that ugly modern art. Said, that is ugly. You've got that hanging up in here and it's ugly. The guide said, no, madam. That is not modern, uh, modern art. That's a mirror. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be here tonight. Amen. Did I tell you about the hillbilly walking along the road and found a mirror? No? I tell you about that? First mirror he had ever found or had ever seen. He picked it up and looked at it and said, oh, my goodness, there's a picture of my Uncle Ned. He said, I better take that home with me, picture of Uncle Ned. Of course, he said, uh, come to think about it, my wife never did like the looks of Uncle Ned. You can kind of put that one together, can't you? Huh? So he got in the house and he went up in the loft and he hid that from his wife. And she saw him go up and come down, and she said, Aha, there's some hanky-panky going on around here. So as soon as he left, she went up and she searched and searched. You know, men, you cannot hide anything in your house from your wife. Just forget it. If you try to hide it, amen? Yeah, right, amen. That's her own little domain. You know what I mean? That belongs to her. Come on. You try to hide a candy bar in the house. Next time you find it, there'll be a chunk of, out of it just the size of her teeth. Amen? <laughs> and uh, so she went up and found that mirror. First mirror she'd ever seen. So she'd take, she took that mirror and looked at it and she said, Aha! That's a picture of that old hag he's been hanging around with. Amen? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> When we were in the Amazon jungle, we'd take mirrors in with us and with the tribes. They'd never seen a mirror, so we'd pass them around to everybody. And they'd look at that and they'd, whoa, there's somebody. And they'd look at the back of it, see where he was. And they couldn't figure out that man was in the mirror. 
And they, of course, they didn't know what they looked. It took them a whole day to figure out it was them in the mirror. And then they'd go around to somebody else and say, look here, here I am. <laughs> and uh, they'd wrestle around. While they were doing that, they weren't killing us, you know. That's, that's the whole idea. And, uh, I mean, finally they figure out, you know, and they'd look at that and just laugh. They didn't realize how ugly they really were until they saw that mirror. But uh, a mirror. We Christians want to reflect the image of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it's all about. And the Bible talks about that. All right. John chapter 3 tonight, if you would please. John chapter 3. And uh, I want to look tonight, starting with verse number 1. And I'm going to read uh, quite a few verses there tonight. Kind of one... uh, from one to the other and make comments. And then I, I want to preach to you about uh, a man who came to Jesus by night. His name was Nicodemus. And uh, it starts out, and there was a man of the Pharisees. Now Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were a particular set of, uh, of uh, leaders in, their, in that country in those days, uh, something similar to lawyers. Now, uh, you can imagine what that would be like, amen? Lawyers, always trying to, you know, one of the problems we have with lawyers is they go to school and they study how to find a loophole in the law and they write papers on it and who finds the best loophole in the law is the one that graduates at the top of the class. And then he goes out and he tries to find loopholes and laws all the time he's practicing, and then they make him a judge. <laughs> so you can imagine what a mess what a mess that would be. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we have such a mess in this world, in this country. It, it's lawyers, you know. Now that don't mean that all lawyers are a crook now. There are a lot of good, honest lawyers. I said one time, I was saying some things against lawyers one time in a church, and right down over there, I set one, you know, and, uh, and I saw some people kind of gritting their teeth, but, uh, and I said, not all, not all lawyers are crooks. There are even preachers that are crooks, so, uh, you know, preachers can't uh, make fun of all lawyers, because, uh, you know, not all preachers are crooks, and not all lawyers are crooks, but in the case of these Pharisees, uh, they were they were kind of lawyers and and they were were kind of judges. Now, you know we have a Supreme Court in America who think that they decide all the things that are law and not law. And I, I I'm I'm appalled at what some of them say and do. One time, my wife and I had a uh, private tour uh, through the Supreme Court building at 2 o'clock in the morning when nobody was there. And this guy that was the uh, bodyguard for Warren Berger, who was the uh, top of the Supreme Court in those days, took us all through there. We were, in, we were in every area of that whole building. I even sat in Warren Berger's chair on the Supreme Court. My wife did too. And uh, had a little, he had a little pillow in there because he had back trouble. And he didn't want to sit in that chair very long. But... Uh, you know, Supreme Court, uh, kind of lawyers. And you know, if, if you don't watch out with lawyers, 
they'll get in charge of some things that they think they ought to be the law of the land. And uh, some of those Supreme Court justices, I mean, in a moment they can decide uh, to kill all these babies that they kill. And uh, just, uh, just by their, their flippant, careless decisions, they can do that. And uh, lawyers and judges, uh, sometimes lawyers and judges can, can create uh, an entirely different atmosphere in a country than what should be there. Now, in some places, they're not listened to enough. But that was a man of the Pharisees, a lawyer, kind of like a, a leader of the lawyers who came to Jesus, the Bible says, he was a ruler of the Jews, the same came to Jesus by night. This, uh, this Pharisee, this Nicodemus, who was a ruler, he was not just a member, but he was one of the rulers, he was one of the leaders who was uh, involved in controlling uh, some, of the law, some of the laws and some of the things that was going on. And these Pharisees, what they had done was they had taken the law, like sometimes we see happen even in America, they had taken the law and they mixed it with their own opinions and their own traditions, and they came up with what was called the tradition of the fathers. And sometimes uh, laws that really didn't mean uh, what they actually come to be uh, uh, was not really enacted in the first place, but to actually become something else other than what was they were intended for. And that's what happened to these Pharisees. They were rulers, and uh, they, uh, they were kind of not really shady crooks, but they were uh, people very strongly opinionated, and they wanted to enforce their opinion on everybody else. Well, then one of them, a leader among these Pharisees, came to Jesus by night. I think the reason why he came to Jesus by night not that he was embarrassed to come to Christ, but I think it was urgent. Maybe he was so busy that he thought he couldn't come in the daytime. But he came to Jesus by night, and he really did have a question that he wanted answered. So I kind of assume, as I look at it, that it was something very urgent. Now most all of us, in some time in our lives, will have something come up, that is an urgent problem or an urgent request or uh, an uh, a, a urgent problem. Something that we just have to have settled and handled and many times right away. That's the reason why uh, the Bible tells us that we can come before the throne of God at any minute with our prayers and petitions because God is always able to hear us pray no matter where we are or what is happening or what is going on, God is a prayer answering God. And so he comes to Jesus by night. Now, I kind of like what he says here because he comes to Jesus by night and the Bible says that he said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He calls him teacher. He says, teacher, uh, I've come to you by night because I believe that God Almighty is with you. I believe that God uh, is, uh, is uh, 
speaking through you because of what you say and what you do, even to the place where you work miracles in verse 2, these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. I believe that God is with you because of the miracles that you do. You know, Jesus was a great preacher. And when he preached, people listened. In fact, oftentimes there were multitudes of people followed him after one of his sermons because they wanted more uh, a teaching from him and more, uh, more lessons from him and more advice from him. And so they followed him. And they followed him faithful. In fact, the matter is, one time uh, the leading rulers of the day sent out an army to arrest him and bring him back so they could put him in jail, put Jesus in jail, and even kill him. That was their idea. They often had tried to kill him. The Pharisees wanted to kill him definitely. And they sent an army out to arrest him and bring him back. Now, it wasn't the Roman army. You know, it wasn't those men that were, uh, had nice bre- leather breastplates and helmets that sh- were shiny and uh, metal and uh, swords that were sharp. And, uh, and boots that were strong. It, was, it wasn't that kind of a soldier. They, they probably looked more like the three stooges. And they sent him out to rest Jesus. And they came back empty-handed. They came back, they came back without him, which could have meant their heads. They could have had their heads lopped off for not doing what they were sent out to do. And they said to him, why didn't you arrest him and bring him back? And their only excuse was, no man ever spake like this man. No man had ever preached like this man can preach. And so they came back empty handed. Jesus was a great preacher. And so this leader comes to Jesus by night and he calls him teacher, an honorable uh, uh, an honorable. Uh, uh, a name for him, and uh, they, he calls him teacher, and he he calls him he calls him a special anointed from God because God Almighty hears him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, in verse three, you see it, you have it. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so he. He calls him teacher, and so Jesus starts to teach him. And he says, in order to go to heaven, in order to be right with God, you must be born again. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Born again? I mean, uh, when I was born, it was pretty tough on the farm, because I, I, I was mama's last baby, and I weighed 13 pounds. And she was hardly able to give birth to me. And so uh, I, I'm sure that if I could recall the, the birth, I'm sure it would be a painful memory. And, uh, but uh, uh, someone said, why were you born on a farm, Brother Clayton? I said, I'm, because I wanted to be near my mother. Amen. And uh, there wasn't any hospital around where, we, where I was born. I was born at home. And, uh, you know, the, the idea of being born in itself is a mystery. I mean, it's un- unbelievable what happens when a baby is born. I mean, 
this, this new life uh, comes out and breathes air and starts to cry. And it's amazing, really, that uh, uh, what happens with a child. We have them born all over the place all the time, but every one of them is a miracle. And so it, Jesus said to Nicodemus, this old man, this leader, this Pharisee, this lawyer, he says, you must be born again. So Nicodemus said unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? You see in verse 4? How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? You know, he was thinking only of a physical birth. I would imagine that probably any one of us would have thought that. But Jesus answered in verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people would come along and say, there we are. You have to be baptized before you're saved because of the water. Now, that isn't what Jesus is meaning. And he emphasizes in the next verse, that which is born of flesh is flesh. He was talking about <coughs> the physical birth. I mean, that which is born of the physical is physical. But you have to be born of the spirit. That which is born in flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he says, marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. And then he uses uh, an illustration of the wind. He says, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whether it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Are you a leader, a Pharisee, a lawyer, a big shot around here, and you don't know these secrets? It was almost like him saying, Shame on you. And then Jesus in verse 11 says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe it not, how shall, I, how shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that cometh down from heaven and every son of man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is giving here the gospel to Nicodemus. And He said, what you have to do is you have to be born of the Spirit. That is to say, when I was born of my Father, I was my Father's Son. Now, uh, I have an ordinary brother, his name is Bob, and Bob uh, was just, he just enjoyed teasing me all the time, and he said to me one time, Larry, you're not a Clayton, you're just adopted. Oh, I thought that was terrible. Well, it's not bad to be adopted. Like a little boy said, they said to him in school, oh, you're just adopted. He said, well... That's kind of nice. Thank you very much. He said, my parents chose me, but your parents are stuck with you. 
Amen? And um, so my brother said, you're not a Clayton, you're just a, oh, I thought, me, I'm not a Clayton? That would be terrible. I thought that all good people were Claytons. I found out later on there were some bad Claytons. Not very many. There's some bad ones. So uh, I just, he said, mom and dad were driving out on the road. And they came up to a gunny sack. You know what a gunny sack is? It's a burlap bag. And said that burlap bag was laying there on the side of the road, and there was some action in it. And Dad stopped the car and opened up that burlap bag, and it was you. And said, you know how Mom is. She takes in stray dogs and cats. And so she just took you in and called you a Clayton. You're not a Clayton. Oh. So I went to my dad and I said, Dad, Bob said, and I told him. He said, oh, son, don't worry about what Bob said. He said, I know that you're my son. I was there the night you were born. Right? And I helped the doctor uh, while he was helping mom have you as a baby. See, I'm the last one of the family. I'm mama's tenth baby. They always say the best one to last. Amen? How many of our, are, of your, are the last baby in the family? Let's see your hand. Hold it up high. Go and be proud of it. All right. You can look around and see there's just a better looking bunch than the rest of them. Amen? <laughs> but I was, uh, I was born in the Clayton family. That made me a Clayton because I was born in that family. Now, I'll tell you, it was, uh, it's always been an experience to be a Clayton. I'll tell you. I always tell people, if you're going to pray for us, don't pray, dear God, bless the Claytons. Because there are some Claytons that ought not be blessed. I've got some relatives that are pretty tough outfits. But uh, I was born in that family. I, I, was, I was born there that, that September the 26th, 1934. I'll tell you that so you can send me a great big present on my birthday. Make it big and expensive, all right? And uh, I know that I'm a Clayton because I was born into that family. And you know what? I got my father's word for it. Whenever dad told me that I was a Clayton, I went back to Bob, all bristled up. And I said, Bob! Dad said, and I told him, you know, and I had my fists clenched and I had my chest out and my jaw down and boy, I was going to tell that brother of mine something, you know. And he just said, oh yeah, it went on, you know. But anyhow, I had the answer I wanted. Why? Because Dad said so. I was born into the Clayton family. Wow. Well, now Jesus is saying to Nicodemus now, you need a spiritual birth. You've had a physical birth. Now you need a spiritual birth. You need to be born into the family of God. Whenever you trust Christ as your Savior and you get saved, you're into the family. It's a big family, isn't it? Wow. And uh, everybody that's born again... It happens to be mine and your brother and sister. 
Now, it may not be that we know them very well, and it may not be that we're too proud of some of them. And they may not be too proud of us. Have you got some relatives you're not proud of? I have some relatives that lived on the Lima, Ohio city dump. And none of us were very proud of that bunch, I'll tell you. They were trouble wherever you saw them. Always in trouble with the law, always in jail. And, and, uh, but uh, they were my relatives, you know. And there may be some of God's children that we're not too proud of. There may be some that, uh, of God's children that don't look much like us, but if they're born again, they happen to be God's children. Now, they might not speak our language, and they may not look like us, and, and they, may not, they may not have our culture, and they may, they may not have our hygiene, and a lot of other things, but if they're children of God, they're brothers and sisters of ours. And I've seen some that uh, were certain, certainly different from us, I'll guarantee you that, really different. There's Christians everywhere, born-again people everywhere. They're born into the family of God. And the way you do that is by trusting Christ as your Savior. Now, it's a, it's a whole lot like our holidays. I mean, what do you have to do to be saved? Well, let, let me show you in the book of Romans. Romans, we'll look at uh, chapter uh, 10 of Romans. Romans chapter 10. Turn there in your Bible, even though you might know it. Turn there in your Bible. In verse number 9. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The first word there is confess. The first thing you have to be to be born into the family of God is confess Jesus Christ as Savior. And then the second word there is believe. You see that verse? You got the verse? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You have to confess, but you have to believe what you're confessing. You can confess it with your mouth and not believe it. It won't do you any good. Two steps. Only one more step. Verse 13 of Romans chapter 9. Or I'm sorry, chapter 10. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there's just three steps. One is confess, the others believe, and the third one is to call. Call out upon the Lord to forgive you of your sins and save you. That, that's, that's the three steps to God. And if you, if you do them, then you're born into God's family. As I said, big family. One of these days, when we all get to heaven, it's going to be a great multitude that no man can number. That's how many is going to be there. Unbelievable. And that's the way you get saved. Now, if you say, well, Brother Clayton, how can I know that for absolute surety? How can I be sure of it? Well, just like me going to my dad and saying, Dad, Bob said I'm not a Clayton. My dad said, Oh, yes, you are. And that settled it for me forever because Dad said so. Now, how do you know that you're saved? Well, you know it because the gospel, the Bible, God Almighty, God the Father says so. 
First Peter 1 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. I know there's a lot of people say all kinds of strange things about how they know they're saved. I mean, uh, I remember one man saying that uh, when he got saved, he saw a ball of fire come out of the baptistry. And he said, I saw that ball of fire and I know I'm saved. Just imagination, you know. Uh, another one said, well, I know I'm saved because I've been baptized. Another one says, well, I know I'm saved. I know that I'm a member of the ch- family of God because I've joined church. And some will say, I, I know that, that I'm going to heaven because of my good works. You see, a lot of people believe that up in heaven, there's a big scale. And God puts all your good works in one side and all your bad works in the other side. And if you got more good works than bad works, you go to heaven. If you got more bad works than good works, you go to hell. But that's not true at all. That isn't the thing that makes up God's mind at all. It's a fact a matter of whether or not you accept Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. That's what determines whether or not you're saved. Because he becomes our lawyer before the court of God. Just like uh, if you went up to, uh, to stand before a judge, you'd have to have a lawyer to plead your case. And uh, you'd want a lawyer if, uh, if, uh, for your trial because he knows what to say and he knows how to say it and, and he knows all the laws and all that and you don't. And this lawyer presents, he pleads you uh, before the judge, either guilty or not guilty, or in some cases no contest, which is a guilty plea. But uh, our lawyer, our Savior, is our lawyer, and he pleads our case before God's court, and God accepts his plea because he paid the supreme price on Calvary for our, with his blood for our sins. And uh, we know that we're saved because he died for us. And he pleads. He, he tells God, I, I've died for him. And the Bible says he presents us faultless before God's court with exceeding joy. And how do we know this? We know it because the Bible says being born again, not of corruptible seed. Maybe you ought to turn in the Bibles to that. It's First Peter 1.23. Be a good verse for you to mark in your Bible. And, and remember, 1 Peter, of course, is in the New Testament, in the back part of the New Testament. In chapter 1, 1 Peter and 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. How do we know we're saved? Well, we know we're saved because the Bible says so. Now, there's a lot of evidence that will show us that we're right with God by the way our lives change, by the answer of prayer that God gives us, by all the good things that happen to us. We can use them as evidence, but the greatest of all evidence is what this book says. When it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's, that's what it is, being born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. 
We know we're saved. We know we're children of God because we've come to God through faith. And 1 John 5, 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. The Bible was written. God's message is written so that we might know that we have everlasting life. It's something like the holidays we celebrate. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You have to confess that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You have to trust him as your own personal Savior. Like we celebrate at Christmas time. You have to believe that God raised him from the dead like we celebrate at Easter, the Passover. You have, to, you, have to, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is, uh, is uh, uh, coming again and he, uh, that he rose from the dead like we celebrated Easter. Those are things you have to believe. And once you do that, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this business of being saved is an is a urgent call out to God for help. Like a man in a storm trying to hang on to a plank floating in the water in the flood and cries out, please, somebody save me. That's the kind of call that it is. And uh, boy, we've heard some about some storms and, and floods here re- recently, haven't we? Been, been terrible. I heard about this uh, guy that uh, was in a flood, and he got up in the second story, and the water got up in the second story, so he crawled out the window and got up on top of the house. He's sitting up on top of the house. Here came a helicopter. <laughs> Lipped down a rope and said, grab the rope, we'll save you. He said, no, no, that's okay. I'm all right. said, I've been praying here. God's going to help me. Did you better get on this thing that house could cave in. You better get on here and go. So no, I'm okay. God's going to help me. So they fly off. Here comes a guy in a big boat. There said, get on board, jump over on the, the house is going to cave in. Get it. He said, no, that's okay. He said, uh, uh, I'm all right. said, uh, I prayed and God's going to help me. So person here came another helicopter. Same thing. Well, after the helicopter left, the house caved in, just cursed back, and the guy was drowned to whack. And he went up before the gate of heaven. It's just a joke. Come on. You got awful serious on me here. And he, he got up in heaven, and he said, Why in the world didn't you come to save me? And God said, I sent two helicopters in a boat, Amen. And you didn't, you didn't uh, react to any of that. Well, you know, the Lord sends all kinds of situations around to help us and pull us out and pull us up. And if you look back over your life, you'll be able to see those occasions when God brought the truth to you. And like the helicopter, there is one. Like the helicopter, 
grab the rope and pull up and get saved from the deluge. Now, I, when I got saved, I was in a deluge of doubt. I was in a deluge of problems. I had, uh, I had decided to do some real bad stuff. Just a teenage boy. But uh, I was far from God and far, far away from the Lord. I thank God I never got into it, but I was, I was going that way. And I was troubled. I mean, I was troubled in the spirit. I was troubled in my heart. And I, and I knew that I wasn't right with God. I, I wasn't like my mother and dad who lived in the church and did the things the church had told them to do and had a righteous life and a prayer life. I didn't have anything like that. And so... I was just desperately looking around for an answer. And one night, a man and his wife came up in an old black Dodge car. 1942, I think it was, a car. And picked me up at the farm. When my mother took us to church. And I heard a preacher preach. And I guess for the first time in my life, it all started coming together for me. I realized that I was a sinner. No man can ever be saved until they realize that they are a sinner and have broken the laws of God. A good definition of a sinner is somebody that's not as good as God is. And that's all of us, amen? And I realized that, I mean, I had a good example of my, my mother and dad being good Christian parents I had a good example, and I had heard good preachers all, all of my life, the very best preachers over the radio and in church. I'd heard them preach, but I was troubled in my heart, and I was wrestling with my problems until I heard that preacher preach that night, and he told me that if I'd come and trust the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, that I'd have my sins forgiven and I'd go to heaven when I die. Well, I took that deal. That was the best deal I ever heard of. I mean, that was a free thing, you know. Not something I had to earn, not something I had to buy or I was born into or join. I just trusted the Lord. And that night, they were singing an old song, Oh, do not let the word depart nor close thine eyes against the light. For sinner, harden not your heart. Be saved, O tonight. And I walked down the aisle, and I knelt at the altar. And I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Something happened to me that night. One thing is, God forgave me of all my sins. Isn't that marvelous, to be forgiven? Amen. You ever get in trouble with somebody and you did something wrong to them and you went to them and you said, please forgive me of what I said or what I did? And there was a, there was a forgiveness there and, a, and maybe a hug, maybe a handshake. There, there's a feeling, there's an atmosphere around that surrounds forgiveness. And that night I did that with God. I said, God, I've broken your laws. I've I, I've sinned against you and against heaven. And I want to be forgiven. 
And God forgave me. I know that he did because he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I called upon the name of the Lord that night. And I trusted Christ as my Savior. And I, got, I was born again. I was born into the family of God. I was once born in the Clayton family. Now I'm born into the family of God by faith in a Savior who died on a cross for my sins. I came to it, a helpless sinner, and he forgave me of all my sins. Have you ever done that? Maybe tonight would be a good night for you to do it if you haven't. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Let me ask you a question tonight. How many of you can say, preacher, I have been born again. I know Christ as my personal Savior. And I can testify that my faith in him has satisfied my heart. Would you slip up your hand as a testimony tonight? All over the audience here, a lot of people. I wonder while our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, that personal wasn't all of us. But how many would say, Preacher, I would like to know that. I would like to know the Lord and be right with God and have my sins forgiven. Pray for me tonight. Would you slip up your hand? There's some like that. Hold it up. Anybody, anywhere? Okay, let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes.